They're judging. All right. Let's see. Let me pass these out. We're starting some new notes this morning. Share that picture. Oh. I always. Uh, I get. I sometimes I get worried. It's like, man, we have enough. Um, this is a small, like uh, three or four. I guess uh, 48, 950. That's what three verses this morning. And it's like you think, wow, is there enough to, to fill this time? But as I get into it. Uh, it's always the way it is with the Word of God. When you start to to plunge in and, and uh, unpack, it's amazing how much is there, right? And uh, you can read and reread and reread something you know, 50 times. Your first time will be something there you didn't see before, and uh, it's just it's a made further proof of, of its divine origin. All right, everybody, getting the notes this morning. <clears throat> Let's uh, go once again to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time. Father, we, uh, we're a tiny nothing church here. We're way below the radar of the world around us. Um, and yet you, you touch lives through, through your word even here. And I thank you that you are, are not uh, overlooking us this morning, but you are here, right here with us this morning. And oh, how we need that. Um, it concerns me that uh, so much of what passes for Christianity in, in our Western culture is all about looking good in the sales pitch, come to Jesus for the benefits. When, as we saw this morning from uh, in Sunday school from Isaiah 53, that we have a Savior who was beaten to a bloody pulp to the delight of the crowd and the Romans. And then that you crushed him. That uh, it's always been meaningful to me that the word for Gethsemane is the it's olive press. And the Holy Spirit poured out of him as he was being crushed there. And we see the result of even the thief next to him completely changing his heart. There's no, there's no explanation. There's no natural explanation for the change of direction for that man. Then to say that the Holy Spirit was working in regeneration, even as, as it says to Nicodemus, as you said to Nicodemus about the Spirit. You don't see where it came from, like the wind. You don't see where he's going. You certainly don't control him, but you see the results. And, and we see that. Um, and we thank you that that Spirit, Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit is being poured out and has been poured out on saints throughout 2,000 years and even here today. And we come and we beg and plead because we know that Without your work, uh, this is a vain exercise. Uh, I'm not here to try to convince anyone. Uh, I need this too. We all need to be washed in the water of your word. We come here with our, with a mix of joy, but also uh, sorrows and things that weigh heavy on our hearts this morning. And uh, <clears throat> we just ask that you would draw us once again back to what really matters and wash our feet in the word this morning. Father, there's anybody here today who really does not know you, um, Truthfully, but uh, but like these religious leaders in John eight, um, were so shocked to hear that they thought they were following God. In fact, they're following the devil, and uh, it's such a. We are still just as capable of that in in the churches today, and 
you learn about that. And so I pray that, that we would all examine ourselves in the light of your word, that your Holy Spirit would bring uh, the conviction and the comfort that, that he desires today. Do your will, your way. May you be glorified. May you be honored and praised here today and worshiped in our hearts, from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Struggled a little bit with the title for this, but you can see the title up there, The Honor for God and From God. I, I try to mess around with prepositions. You know, when you write a title, unless you're a Puritan, maybe, uh, you, today's world, you want to you be short and succinct. Uh, I don't think Puritans worry too much about that. Uh, they were also kind of their titles we would call today an executive summary. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I ended up with that, and I hope it kind of makes sense, especially as we get in and, and disclose this. I don't expect to get through all a lot of material, uh, even just these three verses, uh, and of course is the setup. I always like to frame the text for us and and try not to take too much time in doing that. But I know from week to week, you know, we lose sight of the context, and the context is king, right? It's so so important that we don't lose sight of context. We don't want to build theology, uh, our doctrine. In our lives based on a few verses in isolation, but um, scripture, uh, you know, showing scripture and helping us to know the full uh, meaning. So I want to begin by asking this question, what is worship? A lot of people talk about worship. There's a lot of, uh, uh, in our culture, I think this is really changing. COVID is, has really changed a lot of the nature of churches. Um, I don't know how it is around the world, um, but in the Western world anyway, we've, I think you all said the past couple of churches coming in here, you know, there's, there's a lot of churches around that, that have a cross out there somewhere, maybe on the steeple or, you know, we have one in our chimney. Um, they, they profess Christ in some form or fashion. And, um, and so there's, there's a lot of, uh, of conversation, you might say, about this concept of worship. And you walk into, uh, I think probably your average Christian would, you know, they talk about, hey, I had worship time this morning, right? We came, we worship, you know, we had worship time, and then the pastor got up, right? As if there's a distinction there. So I think there's a lot of confusion about worship. And I didn't see that at first when I was looking at these verses before us this morning. Uh, but the more I started to study this, I realized, you know, the Lord unpacks that in a very um, just masterful and succinct way. He really gets to the heart of worship, you might say. In fact, that was one of the things I thought about putting here as a title. Um, so that title is a little enigmatic. I understand that. Um, but uh, so is saying something like the heart of worship, right? What does that mean? And so the Lord helps us a lot in unpacking this. And I think this is these verses. Um, will really be good for us to file away in our understanding of, of what it really means to worship the Lord. Remember that um, back when, we're going to see this here in a minute anyway, so just to give you a preview, but remember that when the Lord was back in chapter 4 of John, he was talking to who? He had an appointment, right? I love this. He must needs go through Samaria. He himself respecting Judah to do that, but he did. Um, we're not told what his disciples thought of it. It didn't matter. He shipped all of them off to get some food so he would be there alone when she came. Right? And uh, I love the portrayal of that in, in The Chosen. Uh, it's such a, it really hit the nail on the head because he, he told her more than it was 
recorded there. But he said basically, she got to when she realized, oh, here's here's somebody who's not just you know maybe he can resolve because of he's a prophet. Maybe he can resolve this big conundrum that we have between the Jews and the Samaritans, um, and uh, and that that conundrum I used to think was was racial, but it's that's secondary. Their their ethnic origins, you know, are the mixed blend of, of Jew plus uh, Assyrian and others that that came there. You know that history is really secondary. She got to the heart of the real issue of the divide between those two people, and that was how do you worship. And where do you worship, right? And the where is all part of that, tied up in that larger question of how do you worship? What is acceptable worship to God, right? And he says to her, he gives her a little history or a future history lesson. Only God can do that, right? Only God can tell you future history. And um, he says there's coming a time when, when you will neither worship God in that in Jerusalem nor on this mountain. But the Father is seeking true worshipers who worship in how the spirit of truth and it won't be in either of those two places in other words the place itself is not really the issue it's the condition of the heart right it's it's that, that and what's interesting about that is that this idea of seeking is also here in these texts in this text in these verses okay and so also by the way is the samaritans which is interesting so jesus has talked to her about that and 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 it's interesting because he discloses to her so much, such clear word, word uh, words, verbiage, who he is and what God is doing, right? And why all what what the world is going on? What's the end game here? We might say for God, and and he is seeking. The Father is actively. When we looked at that, it's an active word. It's not passively, just sort of waiting for things to to play out, you know. But he is actively seeking and working to bring about true worship and worshipers who will adore and honor not only him, but especially his son. Okay? That's tied up in this. Okay? That's tied up in this. I liked what John said this morning. It ties so well. I appreciate John setting the stage for yeah, yeah. <laughs> about that. Yeah, not quite. But um, he said it this way: They had the Jews had no theology of suffering. No theology of suffering. I like that. Um, they 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 missed this arc, and John five is is probably the least studied or least appreciated chapter in John. But it's so so important because in John five, it's where Jesus talks about those two phases of God's grand plan of redemption that's happening on the stage of creation, right? And the first one is that He must suffer. That's the first phase, right? He's coming, as John the Baptist said in chapter 1, as the Lamb of God who takes away, doesn't cover, takes away the sinful. But then there's the glories to follow, right? The glories to follow. But they missed that first stage. They missed their Messiah, and even the disciples struggled with it. We're going to see that a lot. Uh, you know, I've got this other Bible study going on at John St. Thomas, a little further ahead, and I'm really, really seeing that in chapter 13. Uh, where Jesus has to really turn their whole attitudes around. They were so super excited. Um, and here comes the Passover, right? And Jesus, just a few days before, was welcomed by this very enthusiastic crowd into Jerusalem. And 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 it, it, it has a lot of overtones of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the waving the palms and the, and the Hosanna, one-word prayer, save us, right? Mm -hmm. All of this, right? The, the, you know, 
He's just raised Lazarus from the dead a few months earlier. Very excited. And he has to turn that all that excitement, enthusiasm around, even as they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And he's going to say, it's not the way you think it is, guys. And they, and they really, really, really react to that. And he has to calm them. It's in that section, that upper room discourse, where he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Things aren't turning out the way you think, but that's okay. It's, it's better. God's plan is better. I say that to myself because I, I struggle with that too. Sometimes things don't always come out the way we want. They're not going the way we think they ought to go. And we think it's out of control. But remember that sovereignty means that in your life, in my life, when sovereignty touches us, okay, God's sovereignty, it means that that I would choose from uh, you know, whatever's happening to me would be what what I would choose if I knew what God knows. Okay, if I knew what He knows, if if, if I could see the end from the beginning like He does. So I have to trust him, right? I can't, I can't, I have no, I have no limited, I have such a tiny pea brain. I can't even wrap my head around what's happening today, let alone eternity past, eternity future. And, and, and you know, all the lives of billions of people right now, all of those things, I, I can't factor all that in together and all those variables and the minutia that God can, and he is. It's like the song says, if you can't trace his hand, trust his heart, right? Trust his promises and his character. Preaching to myself there. Okay, so where have we been? All right, let's let's get into our notes here. Um, we'll see this here in a minute. I, I put this uh, quote from John 5, 22 and 23 up at the top. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Notice that all. Okay. Paul picks up on this also in Philippians, doesn't he? This idea of, as John just touched on briefly this morning, uh, this idea of, of, of what we call it the kenosis passage, or that he dips down from the glories of heaven, okay, and in humility goes even to death on the cross, right? And then therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name of every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess, um, he is Lord of the unsaved too. And it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. God is going to glorify himself in your in your life and through you one way or the other. He's glorified in justice or he's glorified in mercy. Either way, he'll be glorified in every single life. And Jesus will be acknowledged as Lord. And that is what, what he says here effectively in John 5. There again, top of your notes. Notice this. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all, all, all may honor the Son. They will honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. All right, <clears throat> so where have we been? Again, a little just the context here. Um, <laughs> as I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but I like to go back and I like to reread the whole chapter again, you know, and just immerse myself in that. And I'm like, man, this sounds like a almost a broken record in a way. I keep hearing the same, you see that in, in John anyway, um, not just his gospel, but also his epistle too. Um, you, you see that, and Peter writes that way too. Paul tends to be a little more linear, although he does he does repeat himself. Um, I won't make comments on 
It's just different styles, okay? And Peter says, no trouble to remind you again. We, this is a great way of learning, right, is, is to hear the same point again and again. Oh, oh, well, fifth time, okay, yeah. All right, so same points again. Let's read this together. John records Jesus making the same basic points again and again in this dialogue with the Jews, which runs from 8.12 to 9.5, okay? Uh, sometimes chapter and verse divisions, that's certainly true in, in Isaiah 53. Um, if it were, I don't know what, what whoever was doing that thought, but uh, Isaiah 53 is not chopped up the right way. But anyway, it's okay. So this whole section, okay, from 8.12, to 9.5, is set off from the rest of John by the bracket statement, I am the light of the world. And I put that there in brackets for you, okay, um, so that you kind of get the idea. It's right, just brackets look like that's, you know. So you get this, these statements. He makes it once and in 12 and then again in, in 9.5, just before he heals the man who was born blind. Remember that he makes these light of the world statements against the backdrop of the Feast of Tabernacles, which had the tradition of lighting huge candelabras in the temple each night of the feast that celebrated Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. You guys remember that we spent a lot of time um, going through sort of, because we just in our Western culture, you know, 2000 years separated, we weren't raised with Jews anyway. But even today, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is uh, September, October on our calendar, um, is, is, is celebrated. And it's sometimes called the Feast of Booths as well. They, they set up these little uh, sukkahs, they call them, right? And I, I, I told you, I, didn't, I don't think I played one. We might have actually played a YouTube video. But you can actually go out there, and there's YouTube videos uh, of how to build your own sukkah. Okay, it's kind of fun. You know, you, today's Jews maybe use PVC piping for the frame and some other things and they have all these little traditions and that you know it's kind of like Christmas for them it really is and uh, it's the one feast of, of the three major feasts um, that are required in in, uh, in the law uh, to, to rejoice right so the thing that that the, that that the um, Feast of Tabernacles is celebrating it's almost a timeless thing they are looking back and they are looking at the deliverance of the nation from bondage to slavery in Egypt. Okay, that's what the booths picture, right? That they lived in tents out in the open sky and God provided for them. But they, they also picked up these, that part was required in the law, but this, this idea of lighting these huge, and they were about 73 feet high, these candelabras, okay? And the idea of lighting this at night and then the water ceremony in the morning uh, each day of the feast was a tradition that they picked up, okay? But verse 20 of, cha of chapter 8 tells us that Jesus is saying these things in, in the uh, court of the women um, there and where these candelabras are located. He doesn't tell us the time of day. Maybe it was just as they're being extinguished in the morning. We don't know. Maybe they're getting ready to be lit in the evening. We don't know. But there's no doubt of the, as he's saying this that around him is this, is this symbology um, these, these very graphic pictures of these huge lights that at night would stand out like a bright star up on the, on the, the temple mount up there in Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, of course, is higher than, than 
a lot of the, the ground around it. So people around it, many miles away, they didn't have electricity like we do and what we call light pollution today, so they would see it a long way off. And the backdrop of that, he says, I am the light of the world. Not the light of the nation, the light of the world. This salvation plan, this is something that the Jews stumbled over besides the fact they had a suffering servant. Another thing that they really found offensive is that God wasn't just giving the Messiah for them and their benefit. He did for the whole world. Amen to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? It's not enough to just be at the physical descent of Abraham. That's the whole point. It's what he's trying to tell Nicodemus, right? Your lineage from Abraham doesn't matter. you got to be born again. You need a new lineage. Um, so, so last, <clears throat> last little bit there in that first paragraph, the temple lights reminded them of the pillar of fire that illuminated the tabernacle for their forefathers. Huh. So you have this light, the pillar of cloud by day, and pillar of this, right, this cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night, representing, watch this now, the Lord their God leading them out of slavery to the promised land. And then here comes Jesus and says, I am that light. And then he tells them, we've already looked at this, right? This is a text right before. Anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And I'm here to lead you out of slavery to sin. They didn't think that they were slaves to sin. They Remember, they bucked again. We've never been slaves to anybody, right? Oh, yes, you have. Yes, you have. The light, the light of the world is turning up the light and the heat and exposing that things are not what they thought they were. Let's keep reading. Jesus' symbolism was not lost on the Jews who were really big on this type of teaching. He was claiming to be able to give truth from God for both Jews and Gentiles. They were not expecting him to start with them in disclosing that God was displeased and judgment was coming. They were also not expecting him to be a suffering savior, just like we saw this morning, right? Taking on the sins of his people and leading them out of slavery. Rather, their vision of Messiah centered around passages like Isaiah 11, 1 through 9, or Isaiah 14, 1 through 2. But here stands their Messiah telling them that instead of following after Abraham and God, they were in fact following the devil. The notes right before this are entitled, You Are of Your Father the Devil. The origin of their system was not God, but the devil. Wow. With that still ringing in their ears, we have our text in front of us, okay? This explains why they get really upset and they insult him now in our text. Okay? So, it seems that Jesus makes these basic points over and over again, like hammer blows to drive these truths home. Before we look at that table, if you would, um, if you get your Bible handy, just uh, flip back. I'm just, I've got my tabs here, so I'm quick this morning. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's just read those texts. Just, let me just read those texts real quick that are highlighted there, um, just so we get a flavor. You can kind of understand why the Jews had no theology of suffering for their Messiah because of texts like this, okay? So 
first Isaiah 11, uh, 1 through 9. Again, these are on your notes there, okay? They're on your notes. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and the branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and the delight shall be in the fear, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, nor decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And the little child shall lead them. Imagine turning those big animals over to your little Zach, right? Here, here's a big lion for you. <laughs> you never do that, right? But here it is. It's predicting that this will happen. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Verse 8. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. What? Can he walk yet? And you let him stick his hand down in there? The wean child shall put his hand into the adder's neck. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And when they heard things like this, especially where it talks about, you know, he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and slay those wicked. And here comes one on the scene. It's going to be the Messiah, right? Where's the logical choice to start? Let's start with Rome. Start with Rome. And let's, yeah, amen. Let's go get him. Go get him, boys. Go get him. They weren't ready for a Messiah that was saying, uh-uh, wait a minute. I'm here to pass judgment, God's judgment, on your system with which he is not pleased. You weren't following God like you think you are. In fact, he came not to judge but to be judged, right? Like John said this morning, to be judged for our sin. I really appreciated what, what he said about that. All right, here's, here's another one. The other one, just a few pages over in 14, 1 through 2. <coughs> For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land. The sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples shall take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They will take captives from those who were their captives and rule over those who oppressed them. Well, no wonder. Man, I, 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 I can understand looking past, what's this Isaiah 53 thing? You know, what? Hey, that sounds good. Sign me up. Sign me up for that right there, right? All these, all these nations that have picked on little old Israel, all of these generations. Those that have held us captive like the Romans at the time that Jesus is talking to these leaders. Israel will be on top. And all these former ones who were our captors will now be our captives. Right? That's the, that's the Messiah they were looking for. Not this one. Not this one. 
Okay, so all of that is background, so we understand. Put yourself very hard for us because we're so we know what's coming. You know, we know the we know the cross, and we know resurrection and ascension. And, and you know, we have a high priest in heaven. The Holy Spirit's come. Two thousand years of church history, and we get we got to put ourselves in their mindset. We got to understand they they did not even the disciples, like I said earlier, did not really get it. They didn't get it. Not at this stage. All right, so let's take a quick look at this uh, table here. Um, what are we doing on time? Wow. <laughs> uh, this is an exhaustive, and, and, and it's my best attempt to, to try to distill for us what all is happening in this bracketed section. Remember, this starts in verse 12 of this chapter, chapter 8, and ends in verse 5 of the next chapter. Um, so here's, here's kind of the pulling out what he says over and over again. I'm just trying to put those verses out there before you. You can look at those at your own time. Some of them are a little, maybe a little harder to see at first, but this again, my, you know, we can argue about it, and that's fine. You're probably right. Um, as the light of the world, Jesus will lead those who follow him out of slavery to sin and darkness. Okay? Again, that whole image of, of the Feast of Tabernacles, this is no accident. It's no accident that he's using that imagery, picking up on that and saying, I'm here to lead you just like your forefathers were led by the, by the cloud of day by night and pillar or, or by day and pillar of fire by night. So also I'm here to lead not just the nation, but anyone in the world who believes in me out of slavery to sin and darkness into the light of life and the truth. Okay. Second truthful statement that he makes repeatedly, he is from above sent by God on a mission and is returning to the Father, who is God, right, who sent him. They, they, meaning the Jews, cannot come unless they believe. Right? They Remember that a few verses earlier, a couple, not the last notes, but the one before that, where he was talking to them, and they're, you know, he's already said that in, in chapter 7, and they, that where I'm going, you, I'm, I'm leaving, and you're going to seek me. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And, uh, and they're like, I wonder if he means he's going to the Gentiles, you know, to dispersion, dysphoria, the Jews that are scattered around the Mediterranean area. Maybe he's going to go teach them, get get out of our neighborhood finally, get rid of them. But then by chapter 8, they've had time to think about it. And when he says it again, remember that they said, ah, must be that he's going to kill himself because, well, where is it that we are going that he can't be going? Oh, must be, we're going to heaven. We're going to the kingdom of God, so he must be committing suicide and going to hell. Because that's what their theology taught, right? Wow. Wow. Completely the opposite, right? And I love verse 24 particularly because he puts a qualifier on that. He says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You won't be going there. You're not going to be in the kingdom. Third truthful statement, truth statement, they are not following what they think they are following. Or I should say, they're not following who they think they are following, right? And there's and, and we get into that whole back and forth in our context about, well, we're, we're descendants of Abraham. Well, if, if you were Abraham's children, you wouldn't try to kill me because Abraham didn't do that. That's right. Okay? And act that way. You're not acting like children of Abraham. Yeah. And then they up the ante. Oh, well, they're not born from Christian. You know, maybe that's a, a slight on his 
questionable origin of him, maybe. But more importantly, they've up the ante to say, okay, well, we understand it's not just the physical you're talking about, it's the spiritual. So let's talk about spiritual origins. Where are God? God is our father. Right? And he's dealt with that. No, no. Actually, let me let me just spell it out for you. You are your father, the devil. Okay? But there's there's a repetition there. You hear that over and over and over, right? In this conversation, it's back and forth. And what I'm trying to get you to see is that in this in this bracketed section here, it's like I was trying to think of a good illustration. Uh, there's there's two that come to mind. One that I referenced in the notes there. It's like he's hammering away. You know that that nail keeps popping up. You have a you have a nail in your. Uh, it's usually the ones outside on your deck that sort of like popping up. You know, and it squeaks, and you got to pound that thing back down. And, you know, a month later, it's back up again. Or maybe um, another illustration that I think I like better is it's kind of like um, if you, it's kind of like somebody walking their dog, you know, and the dog has all of these, you know, this distraction and a squirrel, you know, ah, you know, and, and they're like, you know, bringing them back to the point. Right, and they keep wanting to go down these tangents, and they keep wanting to take the conversation in different directions because their theology—they're not seeing this Messiah who's standing in front of them. And he's like, "No, no, no, you're not Abraham. No, you're not a god. You're your father, the devil." What? All right, next point there, fourth one, I guess it is, right? God's word finds a place only in believers. You can't hear my words. He's going to tell, he's really hit this point home in John 10 coming up where he's talking about himself as the good shepherd as contrasting to them as the bad and dishonorable shepherds, the unfaithful shepherds. And we talked about that too, right? One of the things that marks out believers from unbelievers is changing desire. Why, in fact, really, that's what this whole thing is about. Why do we honor Jesus? Why do we see the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus? It's not because you're smarter than anybody else. It's because God has opened your eyes. And he's done for you what he did for the man born blind in chapter 9. Right? The man didn't ask for it. There's no indication the man knew that Jesus was coming by. But Jesus takes that action. He says, I'm the light of the world. And then he turns around. And he heals that man. And we see the Holy Spirit in that whole chapter. It's a great chapter. Come back to it. It's really good. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit. Not only, not only is his physical eyes healed, but his spiritual eyes are open. And we see that reasoning process, the Holy Spirit doing his work to the point where he's worshiping him at the end of that chapter. Wow. How did he get from the Jew who thought like all the other Jews to somebody who recognizes this isn't just the Messiah, but this is God in front of me, right? There's only one explanation. It's God opened his spiritual eyes. So this is, again in John 10, my sheep hear my voice, right? God's word, why does, why do you know, you can't convict me of sin. I'm telling you the truth. Why don't you believe? Why don't you listen? It's because you're not of God. And God's word finds no place in you. Here's, here's the final truth statement that he repeats. They honor God and dishonor Jesus. And that's kind of where we are here. Let's uh, let's just kind of introduce this. I know we're 
note here, but uh, bear with me. The Father seeks to honor the Son and all those who do likewise. In our short text, the issue of honoring the Father and the Son comes up again. We've seen this before in chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. Let's, uh, let me just kind of flip over there for a quick second. Um, and that's kind of quoted at the top of our notes, too. So, But uh, it's worth, I also included verse 24 here. Again, chapter 5 is where he's talking to these same guys, and he's telling them, he's giving them a synopsis of, you know, you guys have got it completely wrong, okay? I mean, they're, they're, they have snippets here and there. Certainly, they read the Old Testament texts like the ones we read out of Isaiah 11 and 14 and others as well, and they were all on board with some of that, but they, they missed the whole arc. And so chapter 5 here is where Jesus is disclosing what it is that God is doing in the grand scheme of things. And so these verses here, 22 to 24, say, that's back in John 5, right? The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That all may what? The Son. Same word. <clears throat> Just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, what? now watch this, hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Can't even hear. If you do hear, they don't believe. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. By the way, that is, you ever struggle with, well, what does he mean by eternal life? That concept shows up again and again and again and again in this gospel, right? Shall not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life, right? John 3, 16, all that. Uh, for many years, I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, people in hell live forever, too. They have eternal life. But then I hear people say, well, it's separated from God. And then recently, I've come to realize, no, actually, uh, God is there in hell. It's just um, it's just his wrath. It's unmitigated wrath. Unmitigated wrath. So Jesus gives us a clue here as to what this phrase, eternal life, actually means. What it means is you cross over from a state of judgment, a state of of abiding death God's he says in chapter 3 right to Nicodemus for those who turn away from this God's wrath abides on them right you 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 go from that state to this state of life with God and the eternal part there is not the duration of the life but the permanence watch this of the state that you're in there and that is particularly clear in chapter 11, where he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Well, you're stuttering. It's the same thing. No, it's not. I'm the resurrection of your body, but I'm also the life for your soul, so that when you are regenerated, you stay in that eternally. It never changes. And, and, and has you've passed from death to life, and you're not going back to death again. That's what it means to have eternal life. And Jesus gives us here. What, what he says here, and has come from judgment, has, has will not come into judgment, it's passed from death to life. You don't have to worry about the judgment. There's no lapsing back there. Good. It's eternal. It's permanent. Good. It's a change that stands firm forever. Back to our notes. We've seen this before in 522 through this idea of honor, then, okay, this is really what we're kind of getting to. 
I want to introduce, and then next week we'll unpack this. In 522-24, where it is said, in the context of Jesus explaining the grand plan of God for salvation and judgment, there are two Greek words here that express the idea behind honor. This is back in our text now, okay? This would be, um, I hope that's not confusing to you. Um, this would be verse uh, 40, 40, um, 49. And uh, 49 and 50, right? Where he says in 49, he uses the word honor, and then in 50, you see the word glory show up, at least in its way it is in the ESV. A lot of the other translations, NASB and King, New King James that I looked at, basically have the same idea, okay? So there's two words here that are critical for us to understand. First is, uh, and, and we have a Greek scholar here, so forgive me if I mispronounce the anglicized. Timio, okay? Translated here as honor, and refers to appraising the value of something. Notice that word appraising. Okay. The second is doxa, translated here as glory, and means to offer praise as a recognition of value. So the first one where he says, you, you, you know, I, I'm honoring the Father, but you're dishonoring me, has this idea of, of um, we, Maybe a better translation is, is value. I am valuing the Father, and you are devaluing me, is what he's really saying. He's saying, you, you are not, you are looking at me in a way that devalues and demeans the reality of who I really am. You don't appreciate who I am. Very much like what we saw in Isaiah 53, right? When, they, when the nation in the future, repentant nation looks back, they're like, we totally were wrong about this guy, right? We were totally wrong about him. Almost like the way Paul also, Saul, at, on the road to Damascus, and he, he meets Jesus, right? And, and he's changed from that. And, and it's like for three days he can't eat. Wow, Paul, you must be hungry. He wasn't thinking about food. He was, he was totally, radically 180 degree, just like violently <clears throat> jerked around in a totally different viewpoint. Does that make sense? I think Jesus had to do a very similar thing with the disciples in the upper room. I think this, that they were so shocked from that. And it was very hard for them to recover. Anyway, um, so here's here's how the two words work together. The honor then is, is the proper appreciation of the value of God the Father and the Son. The doxa then is the praise that comes out of that recognition. It's the, it, so today when we when read Psalm 118, and we had our opening song, praise to the Lord, right? The Almighty, okay? Not chosen by accident. Um, when you as a believer praise God not because it's in church and it's the thing to do, but out of a genuine place of, man, God is just, I'm so amazed that he has done this for me. He's answered this prayer. He's, Larry said all the time, forgiven me of my sins, right? And, and I'm just, why me? When you, when you, when you, when that doxa is coming out, it's because of this recognition of his value that has to happen first, right? Otherwise you're faking it. 
you know, and you and you find yourself like I did for many years before he regenerated me, playing church and saying in, in your own heart, you never verbalize it, but you're like, What's all the fuss about Jesus? I don't get it. Right? And if you if there's some praise coming out, it's because it's the environment you're in, rather than seeing him for who he is and beholding the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus. So that's these two terms. The second is doxa, translated glory. It means to refer, we even talk about that, an appraisal, right? An appraisal. If you have your house appraised, what are you doing? Seeing the worth. Seeing its worth. We've already seen before past studies that the word worship really is, the English word worship is, 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 a, is a contraction of the word worth-ship. So to worship God, to worship Jesus, is to see his value, to see his worth. And it's from that then comes the praise, right? You can't help it. It's like, he is so awesome. Let me tell you about his amazing grace. I saved a wretch like me. You can't shut up, right? Like Jeremiah. I tried to, but it became a burning in my bones. I couldn't, couldn't help it. Your heart will overflow in worship the more you see the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus. So putting these together, Jesus is saying that while he is showing the worth and value of God, they, the Jews, are atzimizo, or dishonoring him. Okay, So it takes that 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 idea of the honor to me. Uh, Tamil, thank you. It puts the negation in front of it, right? Dishonoring me or devaluing me. You are devaluing me. Instead of repenting and showing honor to the one who has its source in, showing to the one who is bringing the message from God, they are rejecting him, his message, and because his message, his word or truth, those are also the same idea of the message, has its source in God the Father, they are rejecting God also. The heart of the concept here is worship. The Father is seeking to honor the Son and is also seeking to reward those who recognize his value, that is, Jesus' value, and show that by praising him in word and deed. Backside of your notes. In Luke 20, we'll take the time on this next time. In Luke 20, uh, 9 through 18, we see the same principle at work in the parable of the vineyard owner sending his son, who is ultimately killed by the stewards of the vineyard. Remember that? Boy, were they shocked by that. No, no! It's going to be taken away from you and given to somebody else. No! The Apostle Peter also picks up on this idea. Notice that both of these passages quote from Psalm 18, 118.22. The stone the builders rejected, what? Chief cornerstone. The Lord has done this. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Okay? They missed his value. They devalued him. They rejected him. And yet he is, Peter says he is precious. Amen. Precious. Amen. And for those of us who are being saved, he is precious. Jesus is chosen by God and precious to him. To those who believe, he is also precious and is worshipped. But to the unsaved, they reject him, not understanding his value. We'll get into the actual text 
Do you see the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus? Are you seeing it more and more clearly? Like I said earlier, in John 9, it's such a good illustration. Because that man, after he is healed physically of his blindness, it takes a little time for him to get to the place where he realizes who Jesus actually is, to the point where he's actually worshiping him at the end of that chapter. Now, I mean, comparatively, it's pretty quick, really. But you can see the Holy Spirit working there. But I can tell you, not only from examples like that in Scripture, but also in my own life, the more I study the Word, the more I see Christ and, and His example, the more I see His faithfulness in my life. Man, you can't help but worship. You don't have to. You don't have to crank it up. It'll come. Just let Him be Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Let God be God. Trust Him. Obey Him. Stay. Stay on that course, and, and you will worship. We don't have to set aside a particular time and call it worship, Father, in order for us to actually engage in it. But every time that we praise you, even even throughout the day, or in, in especially in those times of discouragement and darkness, when we say with the psalmist, I will not fear the valley of the shadow of death, for you are with me. And when we give you praise like that, and we look back and we say, God was so faithful when I went through this valley. Well, God is so faithful now that I'm here and he's providing and he's, he's moving and working. It's hard for us to do that, Father, because we're so we're so like these Jewish leaders. And we don't want to point fingers of accusation on them as if we were not there. But like you told them, in the prior chapter, stop judging by appearances and start judging by righteous judgment. We also need to do the same thing. We need to stop looking at the world around us and, and the problems in the newspaper and the problems in our own lives and the problems in Washington or other places and, and start looking up and look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Because you're in charge and history is all about you and redemption is all about you. And we are so grateful that we get to be beneficiaries of something that you are doing, this grand plan of redemption and this expression of love in the God, one to another. And we, like children who are embraced in the loving arms of the parents and welcomed into the family, we are <coughs> hugely benefited by that. But it is for your glory and your praise and your worship. And we thank you that we can see it. And I pray again. And many that come to my mind, even who aren't here, some that have been here and aren't here this morning, and others that may be listening, but do they really see? Pray that you would open many eyes, many hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name.